A reading from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you for that reading. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly this morning, or Emily. That, that phrase, love perseveres all things. There's a, a fierceness to the love that Paul often speaks of, that the New Testament speaks of, that often doesn't correspond to our notion of love. A love that perseveres all things, endures all things. Um, this week, we start a new sermon series on sort of... Um, who Defiance Church is. And so there'll be a little bit of a history lesson on how we got here, and then there'll be um, both our mission statement and then some thoughts about faith, hope, and love today. Um, but what I wanted to start with is, is we have sort of our own, I'm trying to think actually where I want to start with. One of the things with the current leadership table that I've said often is that like, I feel like five years ago, Defiance Church became sort of a beta thing. Is anybody familiar with that, with technology beta? Like you launch an app in beta and people test it and figure out all the bugs and all this. And so because I had no idea what I was doing, um, I said beta is probably a good idea for what Defiance Church is to start. We're trying to figure out the bugs, figure out if anybody wants to be here. Thank you for coming today. Um, figuring out if there's something to this thing. And so that was sort of that phase. And then for years, I had a, a document in my um, OneNote folder on Defiance 1.0 that I would put random things in, but that would never accomplish anything. 
um, I would just start building and building and adding more stuff to it. And what I told this leadership table that we have now is sort of like, I want us to work on moving, taking all that stuff that I'm postponing forever. You guys probably have this with house projects and something else too. It's, it's this, I'll someday maybe do this list. Someday we'll articulate this. And I just kept putting it off and off and off. And then we finally sat down with it and we said, okay, let's start talking about who we are as Defiance Church. And so there's... Um, First, we'll, first, I'll put up this slide, which is sort of a, a circular image of how the church year goes. And so the church year uh, starts in Advent, goes to Christmas, and then Epiphany, and then Lent, and then this is the season of Easter, um, which we are in now. Um, then Pentecost and Trinity Sunday. Pentecost is really big for one Sunday, I'll tell you that much. They must have needed to fit in. It's a long word. Um, and then there's ordinary time, which is pretty much the summer until Advent again, so around Thanksgiving. This is sort of the way that the church year is set up. And at Defiance Church, we sort of live into the rhythms of the church year. But the reason I put this up is because we have our own lectionary of sorts at Defiance Church. And a lectionary is sort of a common readings thing. Like, what are we going through? What are we doing? And so from my side, this has been helpful because five years ago, I knew what I was preaching on on Sunday, Saturday night. Um, and going through the, the, because I would just couldn't pick, I would just be stuck, particularly when we we're doing Genesis, it was like, what am I going to pick from this? Study, 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 it's Saturday at four, I think I should just do this. And it was, maybe the sermons were evident of that too. But, but the point is, we have our own lectionary, and what I want to just point out is we do generally the revised common lectionary readings for Advent, which are prescribed that lots of churches do. Um, and then we do our Christmas season with that as well. And then in Epiphany, what we do at the beginning of the new year is we start a journey with one gospel all the way till Easter. And this is in my mind, and I, this is the way I used to talk about it, is that it's meant to improve gospel literacy. We all have an idea of what the story of Jesus is, but in its four sort of images, we lose what that story is. But I think if we let the tiles uh, that make up the mosaic of, of who Jesus is, this gospel story, it'll grow in our minds. And so we stick with just one gospel, not all of them, very intentionally from basically the beginning of the new year till Easter. So we cover Lent, and, and the second half of that season we spend on those stories as they lead us to the cross. Then in Easter season, so then we do Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, ordinary time has been the Torah the last five years, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This summer we start... Um, the wisdom literature, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and unless Jesus doesn't return, uh, Song of Songs. Um, uh, many of you are looking forward to that. Some of you are dreading it. Um, but that'll be our next four summers. So that's sort of the way. And then in the fall, because it doesn't go all the way through, we do a... Um, another series often on a New Testament book or the Lord's Prayer, Sermon on the Mount, the epistles, blah, blah, blah. All this is wordy to say. We've done a, an Easter, which I skipped. We did equipping the church every time. And so it's hard for me, this type of sermon series, because what we do is we try to look at what's something that is speaking to us or the scriptures in our life together that we can sort of magnify. It's more than just um, the 15 hours of study I can do on the Gospel of Matthew, but it's more a culmination of all the things we've been saying. And so the past five years, the first year we did um, what I called Defiance 101, like your freshman intro comp 101 class, which if I had said that would be triggering for a lot of people. Um, nobody liked comp 101, I think. Um, 
except for I see English majors. They might have enjoyed it. Um, uh, but uh, they probably skipped it. Um, but that one we looked at, uh, defines church as our living history, defines church as our place where we love. We talked about the name of the valley. We talked about our tradition, and we talked about what does it mean to worship a God who defies death. And that was my first attempt at sort of getting into like what defines church is. And then for the next five summers, I sort of punted on having to articulate it for ourselves again. So the next, or the next Easter season, we did uh, selections from the book of Acts on the world being upside down. There's a phrase in in um, the King James translation of a scene in the book of Acts is that we need to arrest these people because they are literally turning the world upside down in, in reference to early Christians. And so it was an idea of how, as Christians, do we turn the world upside down? The next year after that, we did the seven practices, which I still think we have some copies back there if you weren't for that, which were sort of seven disciplines the church practices together. Um, the year after that, we did the creed. We walked sort of the, through the Apostles' Creed and sort of several different movements. And then last summer, um, or last Easter season, we did Life Together Apart. It was a sermon series on Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Um, but if you remember, COVID kept us apart. Um, and so it was both Life Together Apart. But this time, I want to sort of talk about what's coming from within us. What's been becoming clear for Defiance Church over the past five years together? What we've been circling around and saying together? Um, but there's an image for like why I'm so nervous and don't like doing this. And this is called the life of a project. It starts with, this is the best idea I ever had. And this is like your energy going, okay, this is harder than I thought. Okay, this is going to take some work. This sucks and is boring. The dot on the bottom, um, which you can't see, says dark night of the soul. Um, it will be good to finish because I'll learn something for next time. And it's done and it sucks, but it's not as bad as I thought. For me, the reason why I kept punning this off is because I was living the life of the project. Um, this is the best idea I ever had when I opened that document five years ago. And I've been all the way to dark night of the soul to where I am today, which is it's time to share it. It's done, and I don't, it may not, I hope it doesn't suck, but it's not as bad as I thought. Um, and so bear with me because this is part of doing this type of thing. Um, and so it's sort of uh, flying by the seat of your pants or something like that. Like it's, 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 it's trying to articulate something that's been there for so long that I thought originally was the best idea ever and is now here in whatever form you want it to be. Um, time to hit publish. So this is going from beta in some sense to 1.0 uh, is what I'm trying to do with this sermon series and this time together. And then in theory, this for the life of a church, then you commit to sort of living in this pattern for about five years. Um, and then after five years, he asks the question of, okay, what we learn there? What's clarifying? Is it time to shift again? Is it time to, to double down on where we've been? Did one of the things we were doing become clear because of that? Um, and one of the things that, that I think will be clear as we go through this sermon series, I hope, is all these are birthed out of our worship together. All of these things I'll talk about mainly are centered in who we are when we worship together on Sunday morning. This is one of the things I've long thought and enjoyed and loved about our church is that we um, are a people who gather every Sunday at 10 a.m. and worship God together. We partake of the the meal together, we read the scriptures together, and that is something that I hope is um, 
this will be more in the next set of these sermons, but it bleeds out into our lives. Why do I read scripture at home? Because I read it with the people I, I love God together with. Why do I confess my sins during the week? Because I do it with the people I love God together with. Why um, am I involved in this mission? Because together the people I'm with on Sunday are sent out to do that. That our, our, Most of this will come out of who we are Sunday morning. And, and lots of churches are trying to flip that. I did a, a seminar training thing where they were like, don't invest in Sunday morning because it's, it's a waste of time. You need to get people out there. And I thought, no, I, I'm of the opposite mind. It's that this is where we become who we're called to be by God, and we go out from here transformed. I was listening to a, a talk with a, a speaker I like, and he was saying, you know, I grew up and I thought, you know, faking church for an hour a week was a bit odd. Like we faked it and we had this time of adoration, of, of moving beyond ourselves in this, but we only did it for an hour and he didn't bleed in anything. And he said, now that church attendance has tanked in this country in the West, he said, I think I, I should remember that an hour is more, is, is a thousand times more than zero. Um, that if we can do it for an hour a week, that's actually a lot more than none. Um, and it's my belief that if we can do it for an hour a week, that it begins to go into our lives from there. Um, that if we can, we can stop and put down our weapons and our angst and our anxieties and attacking of other people, other things, ideas, political parties for an hour, perhaps we can do that longer and stretch that into our days and times and week. So you can tell I'm delaying getting to what I've been working on because of the dark night of the soul. Okay, <laughs> so for Defiance Church, the way that I've sort of divided this up with the leadership table is to look at it as we have one mission as Defiance Church. There's one sort of overarching statement of who we are. Then from there, there are three virtues. And these are the classic theological virtues that Francis read for us this morning, which is faith, hope, and love. And from there, we have sort of these five other things, which are sort of these moments of contact that we could call sort of a common rule for life or something that sort of grounds us uh, um, as we sort of go on this road. Um, and so like if you, if you well, I'll share one and three today, um, but one and three um, basically mean we're a church. Um, I think with the very commonality things there. When we get down to the five, it's more distinctives of what makes us Defiance Church, um, which is to say there, there are things that we maybe have emphasis in that aren't emphases other places, um, and that's okay. That's not to say, but this is trying to ground out who we are. Um, and so we have the one mission, the three virtues, and um, the five other things. And so the next five Sundays will be the five other things. So this is the one mission which comes straight from our Constitution. The mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of the triune God, reconciling all things to himself. Now, when I sat with the leadership table, I said, this is what's in our Constitution. I think it should be streamlined for, like, you know, sharing it with the church. And they said, no, that's good. I said, it's a little wordy. They were like, no, it's fine. Um, I, I didn't get anywhere with, like, you, you guys don't want to sexify this? They were like, nope, just go with that. So here we are. Um, this is what they wanted, and this is what we got. The mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of the triune God, reconciling all things to himself. The first thing, and I just want to sit on this one for a couple minutes to walk through some of these words. The mission of Defiance Church. The church exists by mission. Um, 
Mission is what we see at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus sends out his disciples. Mission is what we see the church in Acts. And the church exists in some sense to be um, in a posture towards the world that is not converted, a sense of mission. And that doesn't mean only to convert it, but to be uh, robust in its witness to how it's different. This is the image we used when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount was sort of that the church has Christ at its center, and that sort of thick wall is what the people on the inside of that community do, is they move towards Christ, and they're bound by his language and teachings. And then that outside area is the world that sort of witnesses to who we are, and those people can be moving into the circle, they can be moving towards sort of um, Jesus as it's centered in the church, or they can be a moving away from it, or this, that, and the other. And so the church in this way becomes a contrast society in its mission. If you think about, it has a different coloring to it than the rest of the world, or at least we hope it does, that the church has this different way of understanding its life together. So that was the first word, the mission of Defiance Church, is to be a witness. Um, we talk about witness a lot. There's one of the things that will become clear in this sermon series is because it's about what we've been talking about for the last five years is I'll be repeating myself a lot on what I've said the past five years. Some of you remember some of it, um, some of you don't. But the quote on the back of the bulletin today is one of the ones that I love when we think about being a witness. To be a witness does not consist engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make— would, not make sense if God did not exist. When we say it's to be a witness, we mean it doesn't mean engaging in propaganda or stirring up people or doing this, but in being this community that can be a living mystery, at least that's our hope. And a community whose life doesn't make sense if the God who rescued Israel from Egypt and raised Jesus from the bed does, doesn't make sense if God doesn't exist in the end where these are high goals. But the second thing about the word witness I like is it says that we aren't the thing itself. That we're a witness to what God is doing, what God has done through Israel and Jesus Christ, what God has done through his people. We stand and say we witness to that, but we are not the whole thing ourselves. And this allows for a gap right? Because we aim to be a witness to it, and yet we are fully not able of doing that in our current state. This is why confession is part of our church service, is that we aim to be a witness to that. Um, and so there, as I was looking through church statements on this, it's um, some had joining God and the reconciliation of all things. Like, I'd like to say I'm doing that, um, but at best, oftentimes, I'm witnessing to God's work doing that. And it it's, may seem like a, a minor difference, but what is happening here is we're saying that it's not our work. God is doing this in the world with ineffective witnesses and effective witnesses because God is the one who's going to, next part of it, reconcile all things to himself. In the words of Ephesians, that it will all be summed up in Christ. All of creation, all the pain and anguish and darkness will be summed up in who Jesus Christ is. And that's where this reconciliation, reconciling of all things, and if you, if you notice on that one, reconciling implies that the world is not currently reconciled. Um, if we were to say a word that I liked um, when we were 
maybe going to change it, but I was overruled, was the renewal of all things, that things need to be renewed, um, that things currently aren't reconciled to the state that they are. Only one needs to check the web to find out that that's a truth, that we are not currently reconciled. Triune, um, by the way, is a word for trinity that works in the sentence here, that you wouldn't say the trinity God, you would say the triune God. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and so that is that part of it. Um, and then reconciling all things to himself, that all will be reconciled to who God is. Um, Oh, and the reign of God. Sorry, I skipped that one. Uh, the kingdom of God in Matthew's gospel, the fullness of time in Paul's language sometimes, um, the, the per, per, uh, per usia, the, the last things um, in John and other places, the fulfillment of all um, is that that's what we're saying when we say the reign of the triune God. So this is sort of our mission statement. Um, I, I think I have it memorized pretty well. I, I'd encourage you to think about it. Maybe I should put it on something so we can think about it together. But there's um, this way in which this is core to when I think about who we are. How are we witnessing to the reign of the triune God, reconciling all things to himself? Um, next, we'll, we'll move to faith, hope, and love, which means... I have about five minutes for each of them. Um, these are classically called the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Um, and, and the way that I like to think about what we're doing here is if, if this is a triple helix. Um, and if you said that what defines church is the one, is the whole thing. Um, the th three parts that sort of make up the structure, the main structure of what it is, are the th these three strands, uh, faith, hope, and love, these theological virtues. The next five things would sort of be like uh, DNA or something attached to the helix. They would not be the main structure itself. So it all makes up one thing. Um, this is where, this is some point in the dark night of the soul now. Um, uh, I hope this makes sense. Um, it's one thing that it all is. We're not talking about eight different things. And in talking about one thing, we're talking about a way in which they sort of are bound together. It's helpful maybe to think about rope with this, uh, a, a cord of um, three strands bound together or stronger than one, is that we bind these things sort of in one way. And so we are a people who sort of enact faith, hope, and love. Now this, in our original Defiance 101 series, is sort of what we had aimed at. Um, the first one, um, and so when I developed this card that many of you maybe got when you started attending, it had three reasons we're on Defiance Church on the back, and a lot of that work was done to sell the name Defiance Church to us and to the community and to explain it. Um, but now that we've been Defiance Church for five years, people are less likely to say, uh, why Defiance, why this, that, and the other. They go, oh, I know somebody who goes there and I don't like them. Ha <laughs> ha, no. I never slight on you guys, but I did it finally. Every sermon is against me and now I got one on you. Um, uh, no, that's not what they say. It's kind of accepted that our name is Defiance Church now. There's not as much um, question of who it is. And so I used to, when I would talk to people and they'd say, why Defiance Church? I would say, oh, we have three reasons. And the first was, it names where we live in love. This would have been faith, hope, and love in the first one. That it's the community we love in. And that's still true as we 
sort of bring this out of our first phase into the next phase. The second one is a people of tradition, that it was our, our living history. Um, uh, and this would have been probably closer to faith, um, is that we came out of this tradition called the Anabaptist communities that held a theological and spiritual stance that refused to let violence be the last word in a world fractured by sin and fear. We are called to live differently, to live that stands at odds with the world, what tells us what the world tells us is important. We live in God's wholeness with each other and extend this movement of peace out into the world. That this is in some sense naming our faith, or or we called it our living history then. And then the last one is a people of life. We witness, and it was interesting because there were people who were like, I'd get to the first one, and they'd be like, Oh, defiance is the old name of the valley. Makes sense. Move on. Um, that was normally non-Christians. With Christians, when I got to, we worship a God who defies death. They were like, Oh. That's good. Makes sense now. Uh, somebody once, Kelly, told, they were like, I got goosebumps. I didn't even think of that one. Um, and so those were sort of our original sort of faith, hope, and love things. And this is, none of this is to say those aren't true anymore. It's to say what is God calling us to now when we talk about faith, hope, and love. Um, and the first thing to say about faith, hope, and love from a Christian point of view, is there which come from us to the outside from God. We don't craft faith, hope, and love ourselves inside of ourselves, but they're virtues in that they come to us from the other side. It's that we exist as sort of the rebels and transgressors, and it is in God's grace that we are enabled to have faith, hope, and love within our lives. That it's God's sort of way of bringing this to us, and it brings us to praise and goodness that God has brought those to his people. I think that phrase we used last week for the Easter sermon, that God refuses to be God without us, God refuses to be God without you, is why we're gifted with faith, hope, and love from God. Um, I, I fear that too often the Christian life is this um, call to like buckle down and try harder, um, but oftentimes it's, it's trusting that God is working ahead of you, that God's inviting you into something he has, he has sort of um, prepared and is restoring in you, and it's not this whole sort of like, I need to strive harder. I think we could trust more, but it's be careful to turn that trusting not into a work. And so we have um, um, faith, hope, and love. It comes from that uh, reading that Francis did from us, but there's another one in First Thessalonians 2. Remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That this is sort of common in these New Testament epistles. I like that we read it today, because so oftentimes you hear 1 Corinthians 13 read everywhere but church. But when you hear it read in a church service, it's restored to sort of its context that gives it meaning. Uh, I had Frances read it today because she's the most recently newlywed, so I figured why not have her do it. Um, and then I got to make this one joke that I love that I didn't come up with, but that Christians are required to love each other even if they're married. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Um, because we think that we're married and that we have kids and that we live in this life, but the requirement to love one another often isn't what's guiding those whole principles. I know whole families that exist in competition and conflict. They haven't remembered that Christians are required to love each other, even if they're married or kin or friend or family. 
We talked about this once, but I know people who are kinder to their waitresses than they are to their sons and daughters. Um, Now, this is not an excuse to be meaner to your waitresses, but to say that um, God has bound us in a community of love in which we are supposed to be for each other. Um, Sorry, I was supposed to do faith first. We jumped to love. Um, The two ways that this has most taken shape and place in my mind, I'll try to go quick with these, is, is through my therapy class I took my first year at seminary called Faith, Hope, and Love. You didn't see that coming. Um, and then a, a theological book um, called Eccentric Existence. This is that these things are eccentric to us. They come outside of us. And so when I go over this, know that most of these thoughts are indebted to two places. One, therapeutic. This is th- that class I took in seminary. And one, theological. But what I would say is that, that faith has this notion of sort of looking at our past. Faith is this belief in that the goodness of God has already been there. So that psalm we read this morning for his love endures forever was a recounting of Israel's faith in history. And they believed in that which that what gave them power to confront in the present. Because as they enacted that Passover supper together, they became to believe that they too were the ones rescued from Pharaoh and that God's power would continue to guide them. Was That's where their faith was born. It's the same for Christians. is that faith is born in a recollection of God has been good to his people in the past and how uh, God has been good to us in the past. Philippians 2 is this classic sort of hymn to who Jesus Christ is where he says that we should think of ourselves lowly, um, because Christ is one who went lower. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, emptying himself on the cross. Um, but what people often miss, um, people preach that passage, and it's like, okay, so try to empty yourself. Try to think low of yourself. But what it begins, Philippians 2 begins with, is if you have any comfort, if you've received anything good from being a Christian, if you've been brought in Christ and noticed its goodness in your life, then think like this. And that is the pattern of faith, is is it's saying, um, what have I received in the goodness of the gospel? Both as becoming a part of the people who witnessed the fact that God raised Jesus over the dead, out from the dead, which is the root of faith, and then in our own lives, where has God's goodness been evident to us? This is where faith is rooted. This is in this past-looking way. Um... And faith has this way of speaking truth about the world. Um, It acknowledges that the world isn't as it should be. And it it shifts paradigms for us. Uh, N.T. Wright has this beautiful phrase that if God really raised Jesus from the dead, isn't the rest just rock and roll? Um, That's to say that if Christ has been raised from the dead, or if Israel has been bound as this people away from slavery, sin, and oppression. So too can that shift within us the possibilities that are available here. Because life is already on this flat sort of plane in which everything is possible is something that can be scientifically discovered, verified. Everything that can be said and done is already present to us. And what faith in the gospel and what faith in the scriptures proclaims is that it's not all there. There is something else. And we have to know that first in what God has done for Jesus and his people, and second in how it's been true to us. Um, 
going back to marriage, I guess, with 1 Corinthians 13, is that if you've been uh, married for a while and had somebody actually forgive you, you have a sense of which in faith comes from good acts that are already in your life. You have people who are capable of forgiving that which you had done. Um, God delivered somebody like that to me. Um, if you have parents, uh, oftentimes that's an example. Your parents somehow let go of something. Um, and God's goodness and faith has come in these ways that have been prepared for us. Some of us probably have miraculous things that sort of aren't present to us today. Um, it might have been something that helped you when you're lost, a healing, um, something that was reconciled in your past, something, and it's not, this is the thing about faith being the past one, is it's not evident to you today, but you believe in the way the world can be different today because that happened. Hope, um, uh, Karl Barth calls this the great contradiction of history. History says that this is all that there is. Um, uh, Cornel West has, has this beautiful phrase in an interview he did with Rolling Stone where they said, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he said, um, and Cornel West is this great African-American scholar, I am neither an optimist or a pessimist. I'm a prisoner of hope. That Christians don't exist on the, am I optimist or pessimistic stance in the world, but that we are prisoners of hope, that more is possible. Hope, is, this is, is our future looking stance. Hope says that what exists now will be corrected and reconciled someday. It will be renewed someday. That hope says the material of what's here, it takes faith and, and looks towards sort of the future with it. Um, it, it, it enables us, I think, hope, and as a um, contrarian person myself to some degree, although Shelley's like, to some degree, scratch out there. Um, as a contrarian person yourself, um, the uh, hope enables us to push against the structures of the world that are not the kingdom. If we know where this is going, what it looks like in the fullness of time, hope is that which enables us to push in the moment or to persevere in the moment. Brian read that Romans passage for us, which is just this amazing thing about that. Don't count your present sufferings that great because of the, the, the glory that's before us. And hope places us in this groaning with creation that will be fulfilled someday. And I love that, that Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us where our, our, our um, where we have wordless moans, that, that, that God and our hope, and it's our frustration in the way the world is, where, um, where we have uh, racial strife, where we have cancer, where we have lack of access to clean water, where we have violence, where we have COVID. Hope is this thing that the Spirit comes and intercedes for us and makes our prayers to God if all we can do in that is groan. Um, hope enables us to see another world is possible. This brings us finally to love, which is the greatest of these three things. Um, and faith and hope are among the things which sort of work towards love. It's, it's that you can't have the type of love that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13 if you don't have faith and hope. That love is what of sort of what drives us. I love that phrase, that it perseveres all things. Um, it does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That this love is a fierceness. We talked about that last Sunday with reality. That's beyond sort of um, 
the way that our consumer culture uses love. There's a great essay I love by Jonathan Franzen, not a Christian, but he says that liking is for cowards. Um, Love is what hurts. And so we live in a world, it's a commencement speech, where he's talking about our propensity to like things in the modern world. And this, around this time, you could like, by changing your Facebook photo, the the, uh, Arab Spring movement that we hoped was towards democracy. Like, what a weird... Like, I changed my Facebook photo to say that I'm in solidarity in the Arabs. And what he was saying is that liking um, is sort of this narcissistic approach to the world where these things become adornments to who we are. We are made up of our likes in the modern world. Love is too close for us. And he goes on in the essay to say, love is this fearless getting down in the pit with the person next to you. It's becoming a real person, that the image that you have of yourself, it's when you get in a fight with somebody uh, in uh, somebody you love in public or where something is revealed about your family when you're younger or something like that. And people have this choice they can make, which it's actually three choices. He's wrong on this. One is to to disregard you. And that's our great fear. Why we never become real people is because it's much easier to have these facades of our likes. The second is they can ignore it, which is often what we hope for. Okay, I've become a real person. Can we just forget that ever happened? But the third is they can actually move into your space and love you. It's so much of what we have in this world bent on likes is, is preventing us from sort of moving into that space of love. And love is not just for the other in Christianity. It's also for the holy other who is God. It's this way in which we are called to love God, and it's this way in which we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Going back to that psychology class, um, he was also our marriage and family professor, but this relates to this. Is he, he wanted love to be phrased in this way, that it's to glow, grow the glory of another person. And in our marriage and family class, he pointed out um, how terrifying that is. It sounds like a nice statement, but when your friends receive good news, when your coworkers receive good news, when... When um, your spouse receives good news, to want that for them and want more of that is a harder choice than we think it is. There's um, this saying that, uh, be careful whom you share good news with and be careful who you share bad news with. That, that to want to, to be with the people, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, this, that, and the other, and for their want Love wanting their glory to grow is hard for us because it means somebody else is on the stage. That we are called to delight in God and that we are called to delight in others is a deep challenge to us. But I think this is what it means by love, is that how can we grow in this love towards other? And how can this come into our worship? This is the last thing I'll say. Is St. Augustine had this way of portraying that late have I loved thee, O God. Um, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. He saw our lives as sort of this way of love, that we are pulled towards what we love. He says, my weight is my love. And so what his phrase of looking at this is, is weighting the proper things and affections in life to bring us towards a fullness of love. It's not this denial of other things, but having the proper relationship of our desires so that love can flourish. 
It's my hope here in Defiance Church and as we do this series and as I move out of the dark night of the soul, hopefully, that we can begin to um, be rechanged in our loves and desires and affections so that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves and that we can love God with all our heart, soul, might, and strength. And so it's these one and three things that bind us together. Let us pray. God, you have called for yourself a people in the world that we call the church. As we as Defiance Church decide or or look at what does it mean for us to be your outpost of the kingdom in the small place of earth you've placed us, May you guide us and strengthen us. May we grow in our faith of the goodness of what you've done for your people throughout history and that goodness which we've received ourselves. May we have magnified in our souls the hope of the world that is to come. so that we can become more of your people here on earth and experience the discomfort with this age to become prisoners of hope. And God, in the present, through our faith and hope, may we be drawn into the love of you and the love of those near to us. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the music team comes up. I don't know if I made it apparent, but love is the present tense. So faith is past, hope is future, and then love is what we are called into knowing both of those things in the present. Calm 